1: cheers and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby union. I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, my friends, if I sound a little off today, it's because I have finally, after all this time, tested positive for the Rona, as they say. (laughs) I'm experiencing a a bit of a sore throat, but that's it for symptoms. So, once again, I count myself very lucky. In any event, as you've all undoubtedly noticed, this is not the weekly episode, but is yet another bonus episode. This time, I'm immensely pleased to welcome my latest guest, Another absolute legend of USA rugby, Miss Carrie Heffernan. Uh, I, and I always start by asking my guests, "Am I okay to call you Carrie?"
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, I usually say first name, but because not everybody's Carrie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, th- thank you. That always makes things a little bit easier. So, Carrie, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm very grateful. Oh, thank
0: for you. The, thank you David. For,
1: For the listeners, just a bit about my latest guest. Carrie was the head coach of the Brown University women's rugby team from 2001 all the way to 2013. In that time, Brown won, get this, seven Ivy championships, played in the national championships seven times, and the final four, four times. Her teams produced 19 All-Americans, nine national team players, and two World Cup players. She was a member of the Beantown Rugby Club and the U.S. women's national team. So I have to ask, because it it appears to me you you were succeeded at brown by the legendary kathy flores yep. somehow i had imagined the reverse i just had this impression that you you know succeeded her in that role did you get to know her at all that must have been amazing
0: i knew Kathy very well i actually recruited her to come to brown I <gasps> her three times she said no each time the <laughs> time she said yes i knew that uh, we had been working very hard to elevate the team to varsity and i uh, had a full-time job at brown um, that wasn't coaching so um, I was very very excited and in my head I always believed that if i ever could make this happen i would go after kathy and uh yeah so it was great kathy and I um played together in college played together on national team we were very close friends oh wow yeah. that must
1: have been amazing yeah. I've, I've talked to Jan quite a bit about her what a legend
0: yeah yeah and I, uh, she and I, I was her assistant coach in end of 14 and all of 15 so um that was great to move from head coaching to being cast assistant was really exciting
1: so once you landed at brown you it it seems like you've never left you're talking to me from providence right now it sounds like right that's pretty great what is it the uh the the biggest little city in the country
0: yeah love providence i actually retired about a year and a half ago from brown
1: oh okay so um oh actually i guess so We just, just before we started, I I mentioned, I saw a tweet, which it turns out is several years old. Um, Alex Magelby, who's the current CEO of my New England Free Jacks, who I love. um, He had tweeted something about being at a, uh, he called it a presso, where you were giving a presentation uh, about coaching women. He included a picture of a slide. And one of the bullet points on that slide was move from a deficit model to an asset model. And in parentheses, what are the smart mistakes? And I just found myself fascinated by that point. It's so out of context, and it's, since it's from a few years ago, you might not even remember that. But um, can you tell me at all what that means? Uh, obviously, yeah. I understand, but my listeners probably need help.
0: Uh, you know, I think when you're a young coach uh, and you want to really prove yourself as a coach, you you may focus a little more on what your players can't do, um, and I think it's really important to focus on what your players can do and build from those strengths. You know, I, I know. Uh, like many young coaches, I tried to impose systems on players when I was a young person, thinking this was the right thing to do. And I, I quickly learned, particularly with brown players, that I really had to step back, be patient, look at their assets, what they could bring to the game, and then build the appropriate system around their skill sets, which was creative and fun. It changed a lot as, as college has turnover. Um, it led me to, um, I have, a, I have a Boston Terrier snoring next to me. <laughs> uh,
1: it led me to, that noise uh, sounded positively electronic. I, I, I was like, "There's no way there I extra, can get rid of her." Was there a <laughs> flip phone buzzing? Or nope, dogs. <laughs>
0: um, it led me to um, choreography my practices in a way that I know that sounds bad, <laughs> but it actually was was quite good in my later years of coaching. And a lot of that was in conversation with Kathy Flores um, and choreography, meaning finding that that system that worked with my players' capabilities and then drilling them kind of in the the steps of that until you kind of got the whole production Mm. um, as opposed to kind of, I think the common feeling at that time in rugby was player-centered coaching, let them do, just teach them to make these decisions and then, Et voila, when they come to the breakdown, they'll make the right decision. But I found with my players who were extremely bright, that wasn't necessarily the case. A lot of times under stressful situations, they were kind huh. of, um, they kind of had a little brain paralysis. Interesting. Yeah, so it worked for us to- Is this
1: because of the types of students we get at Brown, where they're, they're so sort of academically oriented that they, they want, you know, rules and parameters to help guide what they're well, supposed to do or-
0: No, I think- most people would describe brown students quite differently. They're, in fact, quite creative, quite intellectually nimble. I think in some ways um, they may have had kind of overload. They saw too many possibilities. Oh <laughs> and, uh, wow! Would, you know, so it was kind of a information overload. Wow! It really helped us to say to remind them that in a team sport like rugby, it really boils down to you being a cog in the in the wheel and doing your you know helping them understand when you're in this situation, this is kind of within your skill sets, the kind of more limited decision-making you'll be doing. It's a little hard to describe. We became oh. a team that I thought did some really cool creative things that weren't based on kind of players uh, coming up with this in the spur of the moment, but actually were choreography. And wow. I've never
1: even heard that word used in terms of coaching as well. I really like that. That sounds very interesting. Yeah. So, I really want to get into it here. You've been spearheading an incredible project, both brick and mortar and online. I can't wait to talk about it. But before we do that, can can I ask you just a couple of things about your own rugby journey, so to speak? Sure. So I always like to do a, a tiny bit of research before I have a guest on, uh, join us here. But I'll tell you, the uh, the official sources, the USA Eagles site, for instance, didn't yield a thing except for your birthday. <laughs> uh, if they got that right, you're a New Year's Day baby. Is that right?
0: No. <laughs> yet,
1: right. I, I swear it's a January 1st. And I was like, that was a default. That was the no. computer just picking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: man. Yeah. Quite <laughs> like the opposite. I'm a June baby.
1: <laughs> to, 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 be, to be fair, once USA Rugby declared bankruptcy, I don't think there were too many people updating the website. For <laughs> know, I'm
0: going to call them. I'm very upset you don't know my birthday. That's why I haven't been getting cards from them. Wow. Exactly
1: right. <laughs> Letter campaign starts now. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: Um, so when I recently got a chance to speak with Jan, who I'm proud to call a friend, uh, she specifically mentioned that Florida State or at least the team affiliated with it um, was always a big rival for the Beantown players. Can you tell us a bit about your playing time there at FSU? I know that's where you got your undergrad, at least.
0: Yeah, uh, and this ties into the history project. Um, I uh, I started at FSU on a, a modest track scholarship. Uh, actually, I think it was the first in-state woman to get a track scholarship. Wow! It was just just post Title IX. Uh, um, it was a um, not a, not a happy experience. A Division one track at that level um, was uh, kind of soul sucking, and particularly running distance in Florida was. <laughs> uh, and I remember looking down at the field, that the rugby field was right next to the track, and the players were always laughing. and worked very hard, but they were always laughing, and I'm like, I don't think in three years of track I've ever laughed. <laughs> I cried a lot, but I never <laughs> laughed. So I picked up my little dolphin shorts and walked down to the field and never looked back. Um, It was a great experience. I really experienced sport like I should have as a young woman, Mm. very supportive, very um, um, focused on teaching and growth, not on kind of punitive. Why aren't you better? Uh, Stress disappeared, but, you know, but your performance improved. Um, I, you know, I, I think good club rugby a lot of people would say they had that experience. You know, it, it kind of was a marginalized sport. So you didn't have to, you know, nobody knew what was going on. And at that time, actually though, uh, the leaders of the team, uh, Ken, uh, candy Orsini, Kathy Flores and Susie Rosen were real students of the game. They, they'd they show up, the women coached themselves. They'd show up with a, a book called Total Rugby. I don't know if people remember that book. It was all highlighted. And then they would confer over the book a little bit and then practice would start. And I was a distance runner at a good program. And i tell you, the workouts were intense and running oh. two hours of flat out running because Florida State believed in back play like no one else. The folks okay. just delivered the ball. They had no other role but to deliver. And so you you played touch and ran nonstop. And, and again, that idea of choreography was very big there. Um, Florida State was was doing this at a level that no one else was. So they'd go, they went to uh, the first Nationals. They showed up, that was 79 and one, 80, they won. Um, then Beantown starts showing up. And then by that time, <laughs> I was playing for Beantown. So I'd left Florida State.
1: Oh, okay. I was school. wondering about the overlap.
0: Yeah, I, I did. Unfortunately, I did a, a little stint for a few months in Houston and then moved up to uh Boston, I tell people for graduate school, but that's a huge lie. I came just for rugby Uh, Uh, (laughs)
1: that that accurately uh, anticipates my very next thing, which (laughs) is going to be. Oh, I assume you came up here to go to to Brown. And then when you're here, you said,
0: oh, Beantown, no, no, I met them at a tournament and and they said, come play for us. We'll help you get housing. So I'm like, yeah, sure. at that time uh Kevin O'Brien a Welshman was coaching them and, okay. and Jan told you a little about Kevin but Kevin was doing kind of to forwards what Florida State had been doing with backs and so from like 1980 to 19 like 90 FSU and Beantown met in the finals or the semifinals of every national championship and it was always who's going to win You <laughs> know, Beantown FSU. Was this going to be the, the, the dominance of the forwards or the dominance of the backs? And and in doing wow. so, our backs were fantastic. They had to raise their game to play against, you know, FSU and FSU's forwards were fantastic. And then, you know, we elevated, and, and I know this is, you know, a hubris, but I, I think at the time, those two teams did so much to elevate women's rugby nationally, because if mm-hmm. you run into either team, you risked being humiliated or hurt. You could get physically hurt against Beantown. In the museum, we have this great picture. It's the 1981 scrum, and it's a beautiful picture. and
1: And it's interesting
0: to explain to young players when they came in, come in. There was no crouch, touch, bind. In right. Fact, the players were pretty far apart. The referees walking away from the scrum in the picture. Yeah. And you say to the players, what's going on here? And they're like, I have no clue. <laughs> and say, well, the scrum half and the hooker are the only communicators in this. And then the both teams are just going up yeah. to each other. And Beantown was very good. And so, you know, safety reasons, kind of elevating the game, um, teams, all teams got better uh, because I think of FSU and Beantown.
1: That's So decades. So I, I also love tennis. And uh, decades ago, there was the whole Andre Agassi versus Pete Sampras kind of thing, where you had the attacker versus the defender, and it was like you know the the immovable object versus the unstoppable force. It sounds yeah. like that's what you're describing with FSU versus Beantown. That's incredible. Yeah,
0: they were great games. So many of them went down. You know, they were always very close. Went down to the last you know few seconds of the game. Both teams had great respect for each other. Uh, You know, we uh, learned so much from each other. And and I think FSU went on to produce six World Cup players with four Hall of Fame players. All, I think all of them backs, Um, No, And uh, Beantown similarly produced a number of World Cup players. And, um, you know, it was just, it was a, a wonderful kind of era uh, of of women's rugby?
1: So it, it's it, you're describing these two things that are sort of equal, but uh, uh, you know, equal opposites in a way. Um, can you describe your the sort of differences in your experience you know playing at Beantown versus playing at FSU? It must, just the the environment, the attitude, the players you were around. It must must have been very different.
0: It was. I was a a small town Florida girl, and you know Tallahassee was the big time to me. Um, and and uh, FSU was very kind of small town Florida, mm. uh, most of the players were terrific athletes um, and had a strong athletic identity, um, just lovely group of women, um, not all Southerners, there's a kind of misconception, um, in fact there were a lot of northern transplants, Kathy was mm-hmm it was a liberal progressive town at the time small town it was just really terrific really um but but low-key you know moving to new england was moving to boston was unbelievable i remember my first week on the team um the women were brilliant they were all postdocs from harvard and MIT. Mm. and i remember you know at the first kind of social after the game realizing i can't talk to these people (laughs) they're beyond me and I had entertained going to graduate school and I quickly got into graduate school. They were very, um, very cerebral, uh, very funny, um, very irreverent. But really, uh, it's hard to describe how brilliant they were. I was That picture of the scrum, I explained to people this prop who was MVP of this national tournament went on to be a very noted oncologist at Sloan Kettering, who wow. tumor research. The scrum half with her back turned to you was was one of the most outstanding women in science one year, and it was the youngest full professor at Harvard Med School. You know, the locks were like postdocs at MIT and laser, you know, technology, <laughs> and, and had a law degree. It was just, it was, it was absolutely kind of a, a, a grounding of these were women who had aspirations in so many areas. Uh, rugby was just one of them, and I really. I really love that. It was a kind of awakening and it was early eighties living in Boston, you know, um, the political dimensions and tensions were so uh, high. You were involved in so much. You just, you really felt that rugby was kind of not your entire world, but an important world.
1: Uh, as recently as a couple of years ago, You were also listed as the chair for the Women's Rugby Coaches and Referees Association. Do you still hold that title or?
0: Yes, I do. Yep. And uh, so I'm on the board uh, of the US Women's Rugby Foundation um, and the WRCRA, Women's Rugby Coaches and Referees Association is a membership organization under the umbrella of USWRF um, that advocates uh, and works with coaches, referees, administrators, who are in the women's game. So our members are men and women. Um, It's predominantly women, but we have a a good core of men involved. Um, And we um, try to provide resources to support coaches, uh, particularly aspiring coaches.
1: Uh, I just lost my place here. Sorry. Um, Anyway, as I've said, uh, you know, I asked you on here specifically to talk about the incredible project you're now spearheading, which is, as we've kind of referenced, the the U.S. Women's Rugby Foundation. USWRF.org is the primary website. Of course, I'm going to link it in the show notes, as always. Um, I was tempted to just sort of read the description from the site, but I realized it would be so much better to get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Uh, Can you tell us about the project and what you're looking to accomplish with this?
0: This is a really exciting project. Uh, it, It actually started three years ago. It just be a labor of love. Uh, I mentioned it at one of our annual conferences, and and a young woman came up to me afterwards and said, I'm an archivist um, with the um, uh, DOJ in the Smithsonian, and I I really want to be involved in this project. Wow. Kat Aversano, who's amazing. So Kat and I have been kind of co-directing this project for the past three years. Um, Kat's just tremendous. You can't imagine what a gift it is to have an archivist on board who is also a tremendous rugby coach and administrator. Um, So it began with archiving. We've archived about 12,000 plus documents from the history of women's rugby. Um, We have uh, kind of chronicled uh, as many teams as we can in the country, meaning we've dated them and corroborated, yes, you really were founded in 1978. Mm. Um, we, um, we, We have been able to collect so many wonderful documents that Kat and I realized we needed to make this more visible. Uh, so this year, um, at great personal cost, <laughs> uh, at great cost to the uh, USWRF, we we took a risk and created this pop-up museum. So the museum um, has been at, f- at four and this weekend will be our fifth championship event. Uh, and what we've done is trying to cull some of the best material. Mm. So combination of a photo exhibit when you go in and uh, memorabilia Um, we've tried to make it uh, a kind of coherent story um, which for women's rugby is really interesting and so Kat and I are absolutely in agreement that the history of women's rugby is really the history of feminism at particular interesting times you know so Mm. the first women's rugby game was played in 1972 so women's rugby is really a direct product of title IX and kind of mindset of women at that time which was don't tell me what to do (laughs) and if I if I'm now allowed by my federal government to play a sport I'm not taking up badminton I'm taking up rugby you know and and a lot of women my age will tell you like it it was an interesting time you really did feel this kind of inspiration from a lot of female leadership you know Mm. Gloria Steinem um Billie Jean King these were our heroes you know Um, it was, um, when you look at that 70s time, the, the rugby teams grew very quickly. You know, you went from six teams in 1972 quickly to like 25 teams and like-
1: One it, of the first things I learned from your website is just yeah. that, just how quickly it, it grew. If it was part of me thought, it's not that it grew that fast, it's that it was already there. And then finally people yeah. started to realize again, pointing at it and saying, oh yes, this is real.
0: Yeah, what's interesting to tell young people too is, you know pre-internet, that how did a team in St. Louis know that a team in Chicago existed? They right. didn't know each other existed. So you'd see all these teams, like there was interesting constellation of teams in, in Arizona, like Tempe, huh. Phoenix. St. Oh, wow. Louis had two teams in 1972. You're like, what the hell? So you wonder like why there? like, what was, what was yeah. this? Um, but it's interesting, you know, the story is they didn't know each other existed. So show Colorado was pretty brilliant. Colorado started hosting an annual women's tournament. Um, so if you looked at women's schedules at that time, they're almost all tournaments. So you'd go to these tournaments for a weekend and you'd play a God awful number of games. And <laughs> yeah. you'd pick up with another team and play. It was just nonstop rugby, usually in a pretty hideous field. <laughs> you know, you yeah. were looking at grass and dog turds. Um, you were lucky if you had a referee who cared to be competent. Um, but in that kind of hard scrabble early years, it grew exponentially, and and those tournaments were really important in that. I'd go to a tournament and I'd meet you, and I'd say, "Hey, you know, you live in Boston. I think I'll move to Boston after I graduate and play with you guys." And you're like, "Yeah, come." So there was a, or I'd move to you know New York and say, "New York doesn't have a team. I'm going to start one, and I'm going to you know hmm. all my friends and find out how to make this happen." Women were really. Uh, very determined, very dogged. It was just a wonderful story. There was very little structure. Um, The women's game was run by the women. The men's unions generally did not invite women in, and many unions actively opposed women's rugby, Mm -hmm. Um, and so the women formed their own kind of leadership group called the Women's Committee, who were very young women for the most part, who didn't have a dime. They They couldn't fund the game, but what they did was they provided tremendous leadership, and over the years, were able to parlay some really interesting kind of management skills and business acumen into creating kind of ways to get into unions or ways to build kind of their own structures. They really were remarkable. I'm doing a lot right now with kind of trying to resurrect those women's names because mm. they're the ones who made stuff happen, not USAR. USAR had nothing to do with the 91 World Cup. They tried- right. to, and ignored
1: it and wouldn't acknowledge it for quite a while
0: yeah, they tried to stop it. And same with the 87 first national team. You know, three women made that happen. Three young administrators that if you'd even asked the 87 team who made this happen, we would have all shrugged and like, I don't know. But it was these three women, Marcia Borg, Mary Larkin, and Diane Terwilliger, um, who got nothing out of it. Nobody said, yay, you. They worked quietly in the shadows. So that kind of networking relationship building which was just so common at that time again when you look at the documents from that time the archives they were all writing handwritten letters to each other Mm. it was even difficult to pick up the phone and call you because they didn't know each other that well they worked together on these committees and then they might play against each other but they weren't close friends they were the women's committee so trying to explain that to young people just can you imagine trying to create this now You know, if you had no internet, I I wouldn't call you. It was a landline. You had to be home to pick it up. So, so, like, how did we schedule a game? How did stuff happen? And these documents are just a treasure (laughs) trove of how that happened and how funny people were. Like, women were so irreverent at the time. Like, the (laughs) Ohio team was called the Iron Ovaries. Yeah, the, one of the first teams in Pittsburgh. Through the Beantown
1: Sevens Tournament, I've encountered some incredible team names.
0: Yeah, well, the women, I, I remember at the time, you know, if you were young women, you got pushback from people, generally women, on two issues. One, you can't play, you'll damage your reproductive organs. Wow. That's big, you know, and, and given, them, you know, the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade, this was a really interesting conversation a few weeks ago with young women, which were, we were told our, our, our ovaries would come flying out our ears or our uterus would like pop out our back. You know, you were, you were, you were told there's a direct correlation between bruises on your breast and breast cancer. So good luck with all that.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: But women's, we just laughed. We knew this was just kind of fear-mongering, but it was a kind of common conversation. Like this is a dangerous activity, but really this was all cover for what are you crazy women doing? You're, you know, you're, you're kind of flying in the kind of social norms of, of femaleness and you're making all of us look bad the kind of other common you know threat um was i just totally forgot uh, so the, the i'll think of it in a minute
1: well i want to i didn't want to ask i'm sorry to jump in but because it, it, it's not even in my script but you you talk about this the the, the rapidity of the spread of women's rugby as soon as the as soon as title IX happened things opened up and i just have to ask is that just because women were so used to being told no you can't do that no you can't do that and then suddenly it was like the floodgates opening because men's rugby did not spread like that you know
0: like no people- and that's another part po- that's really why i think this history project is so important mm. men's, women's rugby totally different histories and totally yeah. different trajectories in many ways. Yep. And it, it makes me sad when there's assumptions that there was this benevolent system that just chugged along and it, eventually women got to here. And here's your national Jersey. It wasn't, it was a really, it was a really knockdown drag out fight in the first right. 10, 20, 30 years of women's rugby. And our heroes were women our own age who were just fighting tooth and nail to make this stuff work. And and we, in many ways, young women at that time, you know, we got pushback from the feminist community. I remember because I was living around Boston. Yeah. That rugby perpetuated violence against women. And there was a really strong argument within the feminist community. I know it's kind of ridiculous now, but there was this push. There's pushback from men that you're not feminine enough. There's this pushback from, from women's that you were perpetuating kind of male standards of violence. Oh my gosh. We were just, we were just athletes who love the contact sport. Yeah, yeah. It's different. That's it's interesting to tell people now. Some people are drawn to contact sports. It has nothing to do with gender. It has to do with what it what excites you. Exactly. And and these teams were really good. That's another fun thing to say when you take people through the museum and you're pointing out look at all these Hall of Famers, they could still kick your ass. If you were if, if they were your age and they were on the field you'd have a hard time containing Jen Crawford that's how I feel every
1: time I talk to Jan I'm like, yeah.
0: Ah. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah good luck taking Jan off the back of the scrub I mean and I was at the WPL tournament last week and and you know beautiful talented amazing players yeah it was interesting to say like you know I'm standing in a museum how would Kathy, Jen Crawford, Jan mm. how would they have stacked up against these women at mm. all things are equal same age and I'm Happy to say from my extremely biased point of view, just fine, thank you. They'd still be the rock stars. They were, and, and then some. And mm-hmm. the young women are, are really receptive to the museum. They, they really want to know this. They wanna know they're part of this really noble legacy of these really wonderful women. And they honor them. They come in and they cry at the pictures of Kathy Flores. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, women who didn't even personally know her. Yeah, I I count
1: myself in that same category, for sure.
0: And then you say, hey, let me show you Jen Crawford's jersey. And this is who she was. And they're like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. Why don't I know this stuff? And, you know, you could see them walk out more emboldened with, "Okay, this legacy is now mine. I'm holding it now to honor these women. As you walk out the museum, we're like, yes, to honor these women, know their names and go forward and and honor them by doing good work. Don't wait for the system to give you anything. It's not. Go go build it yourself. Go build these relationships.
1: I love that. Um, another one of the names that uh, Jan has pointed me towards is Tara Flanagan, who yep. has promised to also come on the, the show and uh, has threatened to tell some pretty damning stories about Jan herself, but yes, we'll it's see. It's
0: easy <laughs> to tell damning stories about Jan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm not having it, so I'll be good looking for too.
0: When you walk in that museum, again, and you're telling women's stories, and you look at the 91 team or the 87 team, you're like, that woman's a federal judge. That woman's a famous oncologist. Yep. That woman was an astronaut. That woman was an <laughs> early woman in, you know, like Jan, early woman in software design. Like, people went on to really fantastic things. Um, and again, that's part of the legacy of rugby, you know,
1: well, in a way, you've accidentally segued me towards something I was going to ask a little later, which is the women's game is on the rise. I think that's fair to say now. I feel like it gets more recognition. I think there's more eyes on it. The last women's Six Nations, I think, uh, set all kinds of records for attendance and viewership. Um, and as, as usual, the men sit back and say, oh, well, all you need to do is throw some money at it. Just throw some money. Just make them professional. Make them professional. Yeah. But if you're an oncologist, and somebody says, Oh, guess what, you get to play rugby now, but it, you get $35,000 a year, you know, like you can play this for a living, but you're going to have to move back into your parents house. It's not as simple as that, right? Like, uh, in, in a way, the success of the women who've been involved for all this time has made it more difficult to sort of say, Oh, wait, here's a new pathway, right? Like, um, yeah. Because, because there isn't, an, or they say there isn't enough money to just pay them equivalent to the men's salary. So it's, it's a pittance. It's, you know, well, well okay, 13 of the players on your team will have a contract. The yeah. rest of you have to go to work. And by the way, we're paying you, you know, $1,000 a week or whatever it is. Um,
0: well, part of me is like boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for those of us who are picking up dog turds in glass to get to play, i well, on boo I mean, if I think if you're a young woman, the opportunity to play abroad is is very exciting. Yes, maybe you have to delay law school or maybe you have to delay a professional plan, but you have that choice. You have this wonderful choice. And and I know I've talked to some some of the players who are playing internationally, and it's rough. Maybe you're living six women to an apartment and you share one car and you have practice. Well, we did that with we all did that when we were young, you know, like whether you played sports or not. Yep. you are an apartment with six people and you So I know that's my cranky oldness where I'm like, I don't think that's the problem. I think pay equity is always a problem, right? That is true. But there are some underlying challenges to that. So while there's this higher profile of high level rugby, we're really seeing a massive decrease in the amount of college teams. Women's college teams are right up. Yeah, they're really dropping. I had no idea. Yes, it's terrible. It's really a scary thing right now that we've got to focus on. We've got to build better bridges between high school and college, wow. college club, because we're losing, particularly in college ranks, we're losing college teams, and a lot of that has to do. I think COVID was just devastating to college programs that were already mm-hmm. struggling. But there, you know, we're, you know, USWRF. We're kind of having some brainstorming sessions and, and talking to some people to understand why is this happening what can we do to kind of support it on our end? You know, what What are our roles USAR and GBs could play? But I, I find those more kind of right now, disturbing trends in women's rugby. Huh. I'm so excited. I'll be the first one to turn on the US women when they play, but uh, I, I, you know, I'm sad I can't, you know, go out and watch more collegiate rugby. You know, it's, it's,
1: you know uh, I'm, I'm worried that I've talked about the same exact story many times in this pod, but so my, my partner, she's a a teacher at Newton South high school and one of her former students has, is now going to Wellesley. And while she was at Wellesley, she discovered rugby. And so it's, it's a very basic level where it's like, if you want to play, just sign up and you're in, which is great. And I saw the most grassroots game between them. And it was like a combination side between I think Brandeis and I don't know, it was another school, like two schools couldn't quite get 15 or 23 people together. So they had to combine. And there's still it's at that level where it's like there will be p- people assessing if you do well enough, then we might move you up to the next tier and stuff. But it was some of the best rugby I've ever seen. Just seeing the, the enthusiasm, the buy in of that level um the, the the people who are there in attendance the support level it's just next level nobody's on their phone nobody's checking stuff nobody's talking to other people everyone's watching what's happening it was incredible and well, the,
0: i mean because of beantown boston the free jacks you know any college kalashima gets started in in the boston area you're probably going to get some pretty good coaching right there's some wonderful women in beantown of boston that are really you know, doing that hard grassroots work, you know, yeah. Benson Daniels is just a dream and she plays for Beantown and OBD coaches so many teams and just administrates and, you know, one of those quiet female administrators that keeps things going. Um, but if you were away from a hub like Boston or Chicago or New York, and you're looking at teams in the West or particularly um, s- particular Southern areas, it's going to get a lot more difficult to so get really? you can't find coaches so how do you run a well wow. how do you run a rugby team without a coach right and 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 you're also seeing challenges you know from the restructuring of USAR, the kind of alphabet soup now of organizations is really making it difficult in some ways for club teams to to find these harbors that they can sail into and get the support they need but that's just one thing i, I know you i don't want to drag it around david but just a response to, you, like, there are problems. I'm not sure that I can't make a living right now as a pro rugby player. We top my list.
1: <laughs> well, you mentioned the word challenges just now, and that's next on my list because when you were starting this, you know, well, actually, I should back up a little bit. So you had this idea that there isn't enough understanding and recognition and knowledge about the early women's game. I'm going to put this thing together. Um, We're we're going to work on this thing. But then the, you know, the obstacles of actually making that thing happen must have come in. So what were some of your early challenges launching this museum? Did you feel resistance uh, just from technology or from people who said, you shouldn't be doing this? This is a waste of time. Was it just I don't know if I can afford to do this because it's going to drain my pocket. You know, what were your early challenges?
0: I think it was, I think it was good that Kat and I didn't really know what we were getting into when we got into it. Right. It it was one of those. (laughs) And, and it evolves and I had stopped working. So I had a lot of time. Um, And uh, you know, tracking down some material was difficult, corroborating, you know, Kat and I work, uh. she's an archivist, it's really important, like if we say the very first game was Colorado and Colorado State, we need documentation of that. Yep. And when someone, like someone came into the museum last week and said, that's wrong, it was the University of Illinois, and I said, no, it wasn't, I could corroborate when the University of Illinois started, and what was really funny was a, 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 an original Illinois player was sitting in the museum, <laughs> she looked at the guy and she said, you're wrong. It was, it, we you know, but anyway, um, so tracking down corroborating material, um, deciding what to focus on, like USWRF is really okay. focused on grassroots rugby, but all of women's rugby. But um, you know, we do have a beautiful evolution of the national team from the very first jerseys on, because people want to see that. You know, we have signed Olympic jerseys. Um, you know, we have two, both the very first national team jerseys as well as the World Cup jerseys. Um, So you're kind of thinking, well, if I'm 17, if I'm 22 and I walk into this museum and I'm, what do I want to see? So we we make sure there's memorabilia. As I said, some of the early women's rugby was irreverent and really funny. And I want to be sure that we have those pictures in a context to say to players. This wasn't just women being outrageous. This was in response to this. And this is why these women, this was one of their recourses to mock this. So Mm -hmm. um,
1: it feels very proto-feminism when it was like, oh, we have a chance.
0: Guess what? Yeah, it was funny. (laughs) You know, like the uh, Eugene um, Oregon team were called the Housewives and they were hysterical and they produced material that was so funny. Like we have one of their posters up in the museum and people just love it. And then you show them like, here are the programs that they produced and everything mocked. Kind of domestic life,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: That you thought this was really very funny in like the early 1980s to to build an entire team based on mocking domestic life <laughs> women, <laughs> and uh, you know Chicago women were notoriously funny, and they you know produced a professional poster that it takes it, it now it takes more than leather balls to play rugby, uh, and people walk in and and they think this is kind of nostalgic, and they want these things. Um, So you know we're we're happy to again put these into a context. This is what was happening, and this is what came of that. um, is is really kind of fun. The challenges have been financial. It's expensive. We're looking for sponsorships. The pop-ups have been outrageously successful. We're packed. People come in, and you know, I'm the docent, (laughs) and then we we have you know different kind of groups, uh, you know, explaining things. But um, the people really appreciate it. We've now one of the things that was challenging is we built an online component. So if yep. you go to our website, there's an which online- is
1: incredible. By the way, I, I started looking at it just cursorily, and then was like, an hour later, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm still oh, looking good. at this same spot. It's incredible.
0: And that's just that's just the skeleton of it. Like you can't believe the stuff we have, David. That I can't wait to put into that. Mm. One one thing we have is. Um, We have interviews. You'll appreciate this uh, with approximately 25 pioneers in the game, like 20-minute interviews that are really well done uh, with really interesting women who are, you know, just you know, telling great stories. The first high-level female ref, Laurel Lockett from Beantown, Mm. for for example, is a really terrific interview. What was it like to be a woman ref in 1983 assigned high-level men's games? Yeah, guys uh, I
1: have a sneaking suspicion. It's eerily similar to Holly Davidson right now.
0: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, people walking off the field. Um, we also have uh, Kath, when Kathy passed, she willed us uh, her memorabilia um, and her name. Uh, USWF owns the rights to Kathy's name, which is important because we promised her, uh, all, uh, USWF folks, um, that we would, um, we would protect her legacy, you know, so not anybody can say like, hey, now this is the Kathy Flores field for rugby or the Kathy Flores. Award. Oh, wow. You have to come to us and, and we have to make sure that it it, it fits with Kathy's legacy because she was a very private person and Kath uh, was a very humble person. So we want to make sure that her legacy reflects kind of.
1: I, I'm not going to lie. I just got very choked up
0: <laughs> <over> that <laughs>
1: as somebody who uh, hasn't even met her.
0: But yeah, that was, she, was, wow. she really was everything all the accolades she deserves she also left us probably about 120 plus films so they're dvds from women's games starting in 1991 that are beautifully filmed oh so 91 i don't know how she got these films but they were from the world cup yeah but after that when she took the reins of the national team in the early 2000s Everything was professionally filmed. So we have from 2006 World Cup films, 2010, we have all these historical films. So we're working and we need funds wow. to build. We're going to build the Kathy Flores Coaching Resource Library. So if anybody out there wants to support us, it will be a, a resource for coaches. Half of it will be historical films. And beyond what Kathy has, we've also been donated some amazing historical films. Yeah. Um, and the other half will be um, contemporary. So it'll be women coaches um, or coaches of women's rugby um, using, uh, giving you a demonstration, a 20 minute, uh, you know, line out binding video using girls and women as demonstration. And that's really hard to find now. So if you were, young, yeah. you were a young coach and you were coaching women and you went online and were trying to find video to show your team,
1: Oh, that's incredible.
0: You're going to have to show the men for the most part, or you're going to have to show them like Portia Woodman. <laughs> and neither, you know, so you're like, okay, can I have something that can help me with, you know, kind of humans, not superhumans? Yeah,
1: yeah. So what, what is the the line? Representation equals participation. Yeah. When you have to see it to, to be
0: it. Yeah. And we have a lot of great female coaches who said, and we've said, will you do this for Kathy? <laughs> They're like, absolutely. So oh this will be Kath's uh, part of her legacy that we really want to, build out which is this resource library it'll have again half of it historical the other half contemporary and, and you know that just we can imagine this being an online resource that can really um benefit coaches in, in addition the the kathy flores foundation which we've started um will have separate programming um, the the resource library will be part of kath's legacy but there's also you know her her feeling was she wanted coaches, uh, referees and administrators to benefit. If there was any monetary value to her name, um, she loved players, but she really felt like coaches, particularly young women of color who want to get into coaching should be supported. And so we're doing yeah. to build this out. Um, and this is all part of the history project as well. They, they intertwine to, So to know Kathy is to know the history Why? You know. It's important well, you got another history, and, and and this was this web of relationships. And Kath touched so many people that she, she she's Emily Bidewell, the current Olympic and Sevens coach, she was coached by Kathy. She's a direct recipient of Kathy's largesse. And Kathy was did not make much for rugby.
1: <laughs> so uh she was the uh Emily was the person who was your co-presenter at the tweet I referenced earlier oh. that, that Mags ha, had uh, tweeted, you know, years ago or something. Yeah. Uh, I think Brown graduate and product of, the, of of your rugby program. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. I remember,
0: and I called Kathy and said, you got to see this kid. Uh, and you know, she was a hockey player. You got to see her play cat. You know, cats. She's like, bring her over. Let's bring her to camp, you know, which was also so Kathy. And, you know, that was kind of it. Emily's career got on the rails, but She she's a wonderful and she knows it and is entirely grateful and knows that Kathy was one of the women, probably the most important woman to kind of get her career. And and she wouldn't have her career had Kathy not sacrificed so much Mm. to make all of this happen.
1: Well, we've talked about the challenges that you discovered, you know, you probably anticipated most of them. but you've had huge successes with this project as well. Can you talk about some of the things that have surprised you about you know, what's come of this with you know, reactions you've gotten from fans or new participants or new, uh, I, I don't even know, like uh, you must have found so many things surprising that were like, oh, a, a, a benefit I never, I th- thought I would get out of this.
0: I think, you know, we opened at two college events, CRCs and then NCR. And then we went to a high school event and then WPL. So those are very different populations. Mm. And uh, the first two or seven championships. I think I was afraid that young people might think they were kind of walking through grandma's attic. We really did our best to kind of show you this kind of rich tapestry of women's rugby. And I think I was so pleasantly surprised at how moved young women were coming into the museum. I mean, I'm not lying when I say people had tears in their eyes. And, and, you know, at CRC's was the first time we've kind of unveiled the Kathy exhibit. We have a really beautiful, Mm. she fits in this timeline really well. So we don't have her pulled out, but she fits in this timeline. And then it kind of, you kind of point and say, that made that happen, that made that happen. So it's kind of cool these stories kind of bounce off each other like a pool table and the response of young people was really unbelievable David it was just so great and you can see like there's this hunger to know this history and to feel like damn I'm part of this legacy and this legacy is really powerful and this legacy is really inspiring Um, is
1: that is that response part of what keeps you going with this what what keeps you inspired to keep doing it and you know really try so hard
0: New Jersey, uh, we went to the Mars uh, tournament, which is this terrific high school uh, and elite girls event, uh, 300 girls there, all wow. under 23. And we, there were teams that were 14 and under. And these little girls would come in and their whole team into the museum. And we have like, just unfortunately, we, we lost the film, which didn't work. But the reaction of these little girls uh, it it's just, I, I, I'm killing myself that we didn't get this film because these little girls would come through and they did not speed through and run out to get a slushie. They hung out, they'd come back after their games, they'd want to tell us stuff, they like wanted to touch things, they had all these questions. They had heroes. Like they'd go up to the Olympic jersey and ask to see a Lona Mars signature. And then we're like, ah, wow. You have a Lona Mars picture of her in college. And they're like, oh, and they think, how cool, like little girls, they have heroes, right? And then now they know the history. They know that, you know, this went back a ways. And here and then you're showing college women. Here's a woman in 1972. She looks a lot like you. And she's the first woman to play this game. And this is, wow. you know, this is her name. And this is the right the moment before that first game kicks off. And did you see, did you see this scared. coming?
1: Were, were you like, okay, I'm gonna do this and this is gonna happen? Or was it a complete, just, you know, heart opening surprise that this happened?
0: I'm kind of a, a, I love this history and I love women's history. Um, so I don't, I just think I thought, well, this is Kat Cat and I are enjoying the hell out of this. And it's important to do. We always kept telling ourselves, it's really important to do. I think we've all been really so moved by the emotional reaction people have. I'm, I'm sorry we can't take the pop-up to more exhibits. It's very expensive for us to move around. I, yeah. I generally have to drive it. Like I had to drive from Rhode Island to Chicago and back because it, wow. it's, it's too difficult to ship just too many very valuable pieces and you know, glass case yeah, yeah. cases and things like that. So we have to drive it. Um, but uh, we will be doing uh, a, a really large pop-up in January at our annual conference. It's oh. gonna be twice the size and I'm really excited about that because there's so much stuff that we've, we haven't been able to exhibit that's really important. And, and it's it's great not only to get the emotional response but to tell people these stories and say, hey, you know, you're from Chicago. Let me tell you about Mary Larkin, this woman who, you know, really built the empire <laughs> that you, you stand yep. on. And they're like, whoa, yeah, tell me. Tell me more. <laughs> you're like, OK. So the stories are really important and, and I, I don't want them lost.
1: So you've mentioned the pop-up tour a couple of times, and I, I've also referenced it in my you know my twitter feed and blah 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 but um you're going to be there this weekend for the the premier rugby sevens in dc for anyone who's attending any of my listeners who are in or around dc who might be able to go to this incredible event um it's going to be an incredible day it's going to be so much fun um where will they be be able to find you
0: Uh, um there's a concourse uh, that you'll be directed to we're in um, i i can't tell you exactly where, but we're up we're a premier piece of their um event so Excellent. there's a course uh i would say that Premier sevens is short you know it's it's uh, really like a less than a day event so right um, you know usually we're there for like two days so this is pop up and pop down really quick <laughs> we'll stay open as long as we can at the event but you know mm. i just tell people like come um and you won't be sorry it's really great
1: you will absolutely not be sorry. the The amount of material you have, the work you've done so far already is mind blowing. It, you know, it's funny because nowadays, it, it, he said, sounding ancient, um, people don't spend that much time on their websites. They're like, "Well, I'll just check us out on Facebook, and I'll let you know when we do this and that." Uh, no, uh, the website is continuing to build. It's rich. It's deep. The yeah. especially your sort of decade by decade segments. Oh, it's so good that the. the yeah. It's obviously because you have an archivist, because the the combination of, you know, photos and testimonials wow. and letters and documents, it's incredible. It's, it, Thank it's, you.
0: And that's just the skeleton. You know, right now I, I feel guilty because I've been just focused on the pop-up that we really haven't packed that. I, I mean, and I think we don't want to pack it so that people go down too many rabbit holes, but we really want people to say, ooh, and ah, like you are. Uh, you know, we we're handpicking a few pieces that we think are just... You know, worth reading. We might I know you have to invest in reading a whole page, but we think you should read this page.
1: well, i'm I'm gonna have to let you go.
0: Yes. Um,
1: I, i'm I'm so happy that you actually took some time to 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 share your stories with me, to share, you know this incredible project you're doing. I have a small listener listenership, but my listenership is fantastic. They are <laughs> enthusiastic. Uh, they, they love I'm sure you're gonna get a lot of new eyes and ears. On the content you're creating, um, I do want to know: Is there, a, you know, a story from back in the old days you, you could share with us just before we get out of here? So, something that was either, you know, a really special moment for you, or I don't know, something expect unexpected, or you know, something from uh, in the glory days of playing.
0: Well, I almost ran over Julia Childs in Harvard Square. Does that count? <laughs>
1: That absolutely counts, especially because
0: I was staring she, at her in the crosswalk and what kept going. <laughs> I think that sums up. My well,
1: life. she worked. She allegedly worked for MI5, I think it was too. So maybe, <laughs> maybe she had some backup that you just didn't see.
0: She didn't seem to mind that I was talking.
1: <laughs> Did you give her a
0: good honk? No, I gave her a good gawk though. Oh, nice! I was gawking away. Nice. <laughs>
1: Not a short woman miss
0: <laughs> you. Yes. <laughs> thank you so
1: much, David. Well, my friends, Carrie Heffernan was the head coach of Brown University women's rugby team from 2001 to t- 2013. In that time, Brown won seven Ivy championships and the accolades go on and on. Ms. Heffernan, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's been fantastic. Uh, I knew that you were going to give me four times as much as I even anticipated. (laughs) And, and you've blown that that idea out of the water. So it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Have a great time this weekend. I hope you get lots of people to come up to the, to the pop-up tent. And if you're in the anywhere near, definitely go check it out. It's going to be amazing. Thank you, David. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Well, my friends, that does it for this bonus episode. I feel very lucky to have had the chance to sit down and chat with a legend like Carrie. If you haven't checked out the online museum, I mean, what on earth are you waiting for? So as a show, we've got lots more cool stuff lined up for this summer. Please watch Twitter for previews. Check out the weekly episodes. Well, weekly, obviously. Uh, if you do have a free moment, please do, the, do me the enormous favor of leaving me a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can afford it, you know, please buy me a drink through the link in the show notes or become a monthly supporter on Anchor. By the way, you can also donate to Carrie's Online Museum. It could use all the help you can get, and it's very, very worthwhile. My friends, until next time, wherever you are, all over the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon and be well.